I'm Garrett McQueen. I'm Scott Blankenship. And this is Triloquy, True and Real Conversations, Challenging the Status Quo of Classical Music. Still working on that. You've hit season two. Welcome, welcome. Yeah, Opus 51. Thanks so much for being here. Still still kind of working on that um, uh, that, that tagline. We're getting close. We're getting close. Well, at least people will know that we're trying to come up with something that really encompasses everything that we're doing. So Yeah, yeah. So um, along with this Opus 51, if you go over to Triloquy.org, you can watch a conversation between myself, Scott, and Vanessa Rose, president and CEO of the American Composers Forum. You know, of obviously we get into the, um, the protests and uh, the police brutality that everyone is talking about right now, as we will a bit in this opus, but um, in that overture to uh, season two of Triloquy, you'll be able to check out um, the new format uh, we have going that you'll um, also get a taste of here. So be sure to go over to Triloquy.org and uh, check out the overture to season two. All right, Scott. So um, how about we jump right in? Checking our accidentals this week's um, events, I think, um, you know, we both had very sharp reactions to, uh, to what's going on. If we may name one of those accidentals, um, shall I, or shall you go ahead, man. All right. Um, you know, the, the thing I had the sharpest uh, reaction to was how widespread this has become, you know, um, I, I, I began my conversations surrounding what was going on here in the twin cities, um, by, you know, talking about this as a community issue, you know, it hit a little closer to home for me because it felt like, as I've said so many times at this point, a community deciding that there's something that happened within that community that they were not going um, to tolerate. You know, that that's that's kind of where I saw it. But um, last night, Dell and I on the couch and just flipping through um, all the cable news channels and, and going through the local ones and seeing different city after different city after different city, you know, with fires and and looting and yeah. and, and also the peaceful protests. I, sh- I should name that as well. But you know, who who can remember a time when when um, the the protests were this widespread across the entire country? I mean, nearly every major city. Uh, the last time it happened, Rodney King. You know, I remember. I think I was twenty one or twenty two. Yeah. When that happened, and you know, I walked the length of campus with a. It wasn't really a protest; it was a march. Yeah. You know, what impact does that have? I don't know, but I do have to say that seeing Seventy Second and Dodge Street blocked off in Omaha, Nebraska—that's like a—that is a major artery, north, south, east, and west. Yeah. And to see that shut down, and to hear that uh, just a few blocks away from where I used to live in the old market. Uh, a man who owned a bar there shot a protester, killed him. Uh, it, uh, from what I'm reading here online, no charges are going to be filed. Evidently, the, he was acting in self-defense. This, is ha- this happened right above my beloved Dubliner pub, where yeah. I used to just spend so many happy times. Yeah. And, man, to see this happening in Omaha, this, the, that's what makes it real for me. And mm-hmm. To see that happening there... 
at the it, it's scary and heartening at the same time. Well, you know, we were watching a, a couple clips from the news in Omaha, and uh, that black woman came on the screen to say, you know, we're we're all in this together. We're we're one Omaha. Um, and, and I was kind of wondering. From your perspective, especially, you know, considering how we're all really applying race to this conversation, you know, racial uh, tension, um, is that your per- perception of your hometown, one Omaha? Maybe they were that night. Sure. But in, in general, it's it's very black and white, for, for lack of a better phrase. Well, very much like Minneapolis, you know, the, the north side is a predominantly black neighborhood and it has its success stories and it also has so many of unsuccessful stories too, the tragic, tragic stories, you know, but, um, uh, there was, there, there was lots of, um, um, business resurgence in North Omaha that was happening. I, I, I haven't seen any stories about if it's been impacted or not. I should do a little bit more research, but yeah. Yeah. So the, you know, the, the North end of Omaha is, is, uh, where predominantly black people live. Now, of course, you know, uh, in the in the time slots that uh, we, we, we sit in on our day jobs, our night jobs, you know, we we have the consideration of being in the thick of it when it's time. You know, you're you're leaving work right after midnight. I'm getting to work, you know, 10 ish or, or so. And that that's a consideration that, you know, has me jostled a bit. I know you for sure. Yeah. Last Thursday night, I uh, I'm not going to say I was approached, but there was uh, at two stoplights on the way home. See, they closed the interstate, so I had to yeah. take the surface streets home. And there were two places where, let's just call it a menacing presence of young men, masked, and, and just sort of, you know, trying to get a look at me, but, you know, what's what's in the car? Um, I, I, and I, I, now that I think about it, I can't even say if I felt unsafe. It was just uneasy, man. Yeah. You know, just to, I, I'm there by myself. Um Nobody's at my house, you know, waiting, and and I have to take that into consideration. I have to, th- I have to think about the neighborhoods that have activity that that are not calling nine one one, right? You know, uh, and and there are I hate the word bad actors, but there are bad actors who are capitalizing on this situation on on the east side. But you know, it, it's important to note, I think that. Um, you know, in, in light of all of the uh, violence and the, you know, sort of destruction that's happening, um, to hear Governor Waltz repeatedly say in one of those briefings, you know, I just hope everyone will do the right thing. Please do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And and the, and those of us who are versed, you know, instantly thinking to Spike Lee, Radio Rahim. You know, what 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 do you think the conversation is there? Because. In Omaha, or or in general, when when it when it comes to the actual destruction, I mean, you know, it, the the peaceful protests are one thing, mm-hmm. but some people are, you know, quote unquote, doing the right thing. Yeah, uh, like I said, this is the, as much information as I have, and what we watch downstairs yeah. is what I've seen. Well, I, I guess I mean but, more in general about like the the dis- the actual destruction that's going on. You know, like. The, it, it's easy to say no. We only need the the peaceful protest. But 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 do you think there are folks that are justified in some of the destruction that's happening? One hundred percent. And as much as I hate to watch it and um, can't really stomach it, even though I'm drawn to it, um, how can we be surprised? How can we at all be surprised? You know, and, and 
I hate that I hear people saying, well, this isn't the time to be talking about ways to be able to, you know, we need to get this under control, yeah. you know, and then we'll address your grief. Well, how many times was that said? And it doesn't happen. So, um, and to the people who say, well, why are they burning down their own neighborhood? You damn sure weren't listening before. Right. So now that it's on your doorstep, here, here, here we are. And I don't like that burning down their own neighborhood sort of rhetoric because first and foremost, you know, the protests started right there at the intersection yeah. of the of the third precinct, the 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 late third precinct. I mean, how do we describe it? It's gone now. You know, it, it, it's it's burned up and and the, the the former. You know, so you know, people were were gathering there peacefully, of course, at first. You know. Um, in, in that area. So I, I don't like that whole narrative of, oh, the self-destructive black people. You know, I just I, I can't get down with that. And I'll agree with you. I mean, I don't I don't necessarily condone violence, but I understand um, everything we're seeing as the manifestation of, of racism, right, you know, right. as, as it's been said over and over and again by so many people um, uh, reaping the 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 seeds of hate, you know. For, for forever, you know, every bit of our society, if if not, you know, if it didn't have an arm on racism, it was it was rooted in racism and the respectability and the practices that go with that. So, yeah, something has to happen and something beyond, you know, getting the, the correct convictions for all four of those men. Yeah, uh, I was I talked to my brother. He's he's in Abu Dhabi and he sent me uh, an email and I, he was asking about the fires. I said, man, if if these guys walk or if they get something light, you'll see. The, I'm getting out of town. You, you will see the fire from Abu Dhabi. I'm getting yeah. out of town. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Because, again, as widespread as this has been, you know, the, the Rodney King riots, I think, you know, I remember you know, talks of skirmishes and other places. But, you know, most of us, if we remember it, we're thinking about L.A. This thing, everybody in every city in the country is going to have a story to tell about there being stuff going down in their city. Yeah. You know, Um, but again, I mean, it's time. And and as you said, this is on everybody's front door. So we all have a have a role to play in it. Um, You know, I guess if we're going to, you know, loop this around to classical music, you know, what can what can you say um, is our role in it as, you know, classical music professionals? How, how, how have you been addressing this with, with people through, you know, through your work on the radio? I've been doing a couple different techniques. You remember that episode of The Office when they were worried about being downsized? And oh, sure. So they went and got the dinner Oh, the, the dinner, dinner party the, game. The dinner party game. Yeah, I think that in some ways that's that's kind of been my role. You know, I'm I'm like, hey, look over here. Yeah. No, look at this. Look at this. Yeah, yeah. And you know, trying to keep people entertained, but you can only do that for so long. And for me, the 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 probably one of the realest moments that I've ever had on the air happened when I had Our Town, and to me, that music is the 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 soundtrack to an idyllic snapshot of, you know, any town USA, you know, uh, Norman Rockwell, whatever cliche you want to assign to it. But now I'm left with what's going to happen to our town. 
and and I tried to loop the, loop it around that you know this is universal. This is everybody's town. It could be your scrapbook, your photo album. It, it it's perfect for everything, and then to play it was just so damn sad. I want to I want to get more, and I, I have a couple of questions to ask you about that uh, as we get into movement too. But I guess move uh, to to round out movement one here. Um, you talk about how you've seen your role as a sort of look over here, look over here. You know, of course, I don't have that privilege. How how yeah. could I, the black person on the air, not directly address it? And not that I feel, not that I do so um, out of some, oblig- well, not a negative obligation, but a positive obligation. I feel like I'm uniquely positioned to do that. So, yeah. you know, I have to. Right, and, right. and of course, there's a pushback. You know how a lot of listeners are. Um, but I, I've also gotten, you know, tons and tons, way more positive feedback. I'm I think sure. people... Um, I feel like it's refreshing for people to hear, you know, folks in classical music actually addressing something that's happening in the world. Yeah, we and how can world. we not address this? And um, and 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 of course, there are pieces of music that tie in with it. But who goodness? Well, um, to everyone, you know, wherever you're listening from, I hope you're safe. Please. Um, hang on. I mean, what else? Because we haven't even talked about coronavirus. And and, yeah. we, and and that's kind of just what a taking relief. the back seat. What a relief goodness to not gracious. think about that. So goodness gracious, hang <laughs> oh, on. If, if you're if if you're going to demonstrate protests, which I personally uh, condone and uh, and support, make sure you're doing it um, with your mask on. I mean, that's that, that's all that you can do at this point, right? Yeah, let's not even get into that. All right. Anyway, all right. Well, let's let's uh let's move on. <laughs> Okay, it is time for us to um, strike a chord. So, um, Scott, uh, in Movement One, you brought up, you know, how Aaron Copeland's Our Town sort of struck a chord with you, thinking about what's going to happen, you know, to Our Town. Mm -hmm. You know, the the conversation I want to open up concerning that is thinking about who Copeland was, thinking about you know, the towns he's talking about as they relate to race relations even back then oh, is this and where, now. Is this, is, this where okay. I get, is this where I get dragged? I'm not, no, I'm not trying to drag you, but, I, but, <laughs> but, but I'm, I'm interested in, in, in kind of exploring this. You know, Aaron Copeland's Our Town, this idyllic white paradise that could be, that could be disrupted by, by protest and, mm-hmm. and riot. I mean, it, okay. the, the, there's, there's a bit of that that could be explored too, right? Yep. Because okay. yep. Be- that, that's a that's a blind spot for that, me. I didn't see that. Well, well, this is this is not an uh, admonition, but you know, no, I'm thinking in our in our old neighborhood where we lived, uh, where me and Dell lived. You know, we would walk late at night with radar, and you would talk about how oh, you hear our town because it was kind of just that neighborhood, that very cozy, very tidy. But as we've seen on the news. The protests and some of the destruction has reached that neighborhood, has reached the so-called our town. I mean, so, you know, what 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 do you think about, you know, the idea of letting classical listeners know, especially the classical listeners know that, you know, you're this involves you, too. You're not safe. This might this might be something that you have to be involved in on more than just a philosophical level. Yeah. You know that. And it makes me feel feel like um, I felt like I left a gap in that break when I was on the air with it. Um, see, and this is another part of this job, man, because if if you don't think about the way that this might come off poorly, mm. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't get any negative emails about that. So that. Could you imagine me getting on the mic and being like, all right, look, we finna listen to Our Town Aaron Copeland. You ain't safe. So enjoy it while it lasts, bitch. Or maybe mm. I don't say that, but enjoy it while it lasts. I thought you, you know? didn't. Li- I thought you didn't like that word. <laughs> no, I don't. You told I don't. me you started to have a. That's one of my favorites. Well, you know, thinking about people in this idyllic sort of again, like I said, white paradise kind of irritates me. Thinking about it these days, more so thinking about the person that is like from a safe distance. Now let's think about mm-hmm. the the officer who was on George Floyd's neck. I'm not even going to name him, but. He he lives out like he does. He doesn't live in Minneapolis. He he lives, you know, out in, in a community. He's not far from me, right? But he's even further east, though. Yeah. And his um, his house was guarded by the police, and you know the idea again of this of this safety being shielded from a certain perspective because you're from our town. You know, if we want to run with that analogy, yeah. Do you feel like? You're, uh, I mean, we, we talked about Omaha a little bit, how you talked about how, you know, shocking it was to see that intersection closed. Did you, I yeah, guess you thought about you know, Omaha as our town in that regard. In that regard, too. And plus, you know, there's just sort of a, a, an attitude of, you know, like, um, uh, they're doing, they'll, they'll do it. The other people protest and I'll do it. You know, it, it's just, it, it, it just, it's not one of those kind of places. And then, just, it, but then you could even go further with that, you know, the attitude of, oh, they'll do it, I feel like is the attitude a lot of white people have had up to this day. You know, oh, they'll do day. it. Oh, racism. Oh, they'll, yep. you know, I, I'm not racist. I'm good. So they'll deal with it. But here we are. It's it's on more and more people's doorstep. And goodness gracious, I'm, I'm hoping tonight we'll be calmer. I mean, is it hot? On, is, over, is it hot on on this side? Have Have you seen anything that is giving you pause? I mean, it's some it's some stuff going down over here semi regularly. Um, a, a gunshot here and there doesn't scare me all that much. I mean, you know, of course I'm worried, but it does happen. Sometimes it's just a firework, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, who, who knows, but there, oh, there is a little season. bit of, there, there is a little bit of noise over here. If that's what you're asking, but we're, yeah, we're in the season of, is that okay? Is that gunshots or is that a yeah. bottle rocket or what? Already June. I mean, 2020 is going by 2020 is kicking our ass. Yeah. It can go as soon as it wants. No. Um, what we were talking our about, town. about our town and um, the uh, it ain't safe. It, it ain't safe. It ain't safe. But in <laughs> east, on the east side, you know, I mean, my my neighborhood, I always felt like it was on on the on the verge of the upswing, yeah. you know. And and man, this has knocked it back. There's there's sirens and gunshots all the time. Well, what I've been saying is that again. I, I, I like this conversation of Aaron Copeland's Our Town because, you know, that does not exist anymore. There is, there is no Our I, Town. I, I, think in, I think in the United States, the idea of the so-called safe neighborhood is done because we're not safe. You know, I'm not, you know, the, the white neighborhoods are, are where I feel unsafe because that's where somebody's going to call the police on me, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So, you know, that that ain't that racism, that 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 vitriol that exists or that always existed silently has manifested. You can see it now, you know. So so that's why I'm not I'm not messed up about a lot of this I don't know. Um it, it's 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 hard to say I'm okay with 
destruction and looting. That's not what you want to say. But I'm also not one of these people saying, oh, well, Dr. Martin Luther King was all about peace because he, you know, he he talked about um, protest and riot being the voice of the unheard, you know, and I understand why this is. So I don't know. At the end of the day, I am censoring the racism as the violence. Racism destroyed those buildings. Racism looted those stores. You know, that's that's what we, we need to work on fin, uh, fixing. Our town, it's done. It's done, Aaron Copeland. I want to give a shout out to Unicorn Riot. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you stream Unicorn Riot either through YouTube or through their Twitter presence, they are in the protest, in the riots with the rioters interviewing people and something's going down. They're finding caches of gas cans, logs soaked in firewood. Um, Unicorn riot took people inside the third precinct after it was breached and before the internal fires were set. If you want to see what's really going on, not the stuff that the, the, that your local I'm sure that your local newscasters are doing a great job. Yeah. But they can only get so close, right? And so this guy is just in here streaming from, I'm guessing, a phone. <laughs> um, but if you want the unvarnished truth, if you want to see some the, the real deal going on, uh, tune into uh, Unicorn Riot. Well, what has struck a chord with me uh, this past week, you know, I've really dived back into some of those spirituals and they come up, the Negro spirituals come up on my playlist at work um, every now and again. But when I, um, you know, you've mentioned Aaron Copeland and Our Town and all that, you know, Aaron Copeland didn't want women to write to write music. He, he felt like you know, it was he. He had that very old school idea that women just did not write music. So, really? so right now, off the top of my head, I'm thinking about Margaret Bonds, the the black woman composer who you know worked so many of those spirituals into piano music, and mm. you know the the folks that sit back in their rocking chair and are comforted by that you know Chopin Nocturne or something. For me, it's 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 that spiritual. You know, um, I talked about you know before we started recording, I was talking about the spiritual soon will be done and and telling uh, my audience that you know one way or another we're going to get through this you know and uh, this spiritual from all the way back in the days of slavery um, was a reminder of that that sooner will be done one way or another unfortunately for the slaves they were talking about death they yeah. were talking about sooner will be done I'm going to live with God you know um, is that is is that the way we should be thinking about the spiritual as well? Sooner will be done. I guess we have yet to see. I mean, Forget- what, if, what, what if it what if it turns into like, I don't know, what's one? I'm, I'm thinking about maybe one of the Batmans where it was just complete martial law in New York. You know, what if we get down to that? It's possible. Goodness gracious, will, will we have jobs? You know, um, don't know. What's what if if we get all the way down to the nitty gritty? What what store are you looting? <clears throat> You're not going to say. He's scared. It's fine. <laughs> I don't know. Because because some of the music stores that we kind of cherish, we will, like you would want to protect that guitar store that you love so much. Oh, over. Willie's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would. I would. Um, no, I, I would take Radar and just bug out. I don't, I don't know what I would take with me. Mm. Well, I, w- I think I would have my bassoon in hand and... These microphones, because I bought them. <laughs> but it's just, you know, but it's, it's just weighing you down, you know. That's if if you got to move. Yeah. 
Less well, you, attachments are better, I guess. Speaking of those spirituals, so um, the the guest who is going to take a stand on uh, this 51st opus of Triloquy is Adrian Dunn. So he lives down in uh, Chicago. He um, is classically trained. He has an album called Redemption in which he sort of um, reimagines many of these spirituals. Um, you know, it's got a piece of music that everyone's been talking about, the seven last words of the unarmed. Shout out to Joel Thompson. Um, uh, Adrian Dunn was involved with the first SATB um, uh, version of that, you know, not just male choir, but men and, and women. And that means soprano, alto, tenor, tenor bass. bass. Okay. Yeah, sorry for you laymen. For, for folks not members of the SATB community. Mm. <laughs> um, and, um, and yeah, so, uh, and Adrian is also uh, coming up with what uh, he's calling the Black Music Experience, which is a Black-owned music streaming service. So folks, you know, don't have to worry about uh, diversity and inclusion on, on this stream or this station. This is going to be dedicated to Black music of all kinds, classical and otherwise. So wow. that, that's something that he's coming up with. So how about we uh, take a quick breather and then we'll get into my conversation uh, with Adrian Dunn. Adrian, I really appreciate your speaking with me today. I, I come to you with a very heavy heart, as I'm, you know, sure you're going through so many emotions. But, but thanks so much for speaking with me. Of course, I'm really glad to be here. You know, of course, we're going to um, talk about uh, Mr. George Floyd and 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 the situation uh, surrounding that. But uh, for folks who don't know you, how, how about you introduce yourself to uh, some of, some of your new listeners here? Sure, my name is Adrian Dunn, and I am the founder uh, of Hopper World. I'm also uh, the founder of a, a new streaming platform called Black Music Experience, which I'm super excited about. Uh, and I'm also most happy to be the founder of um, the Adrian Dunn Singers and um, the Rise Black Music and Justice Symposium here in Chicago. Um, yeah, and, and, and it's it's so, you know, it's something how, you know, we have this tragedy um, on our hands. And, of course, the piece of music that everyone is uh, connecting to this tragedy, you know, The Seven Last Words by uh, Joel Thompson, your uh, involvement uh, with an arrangement um, of that piece. But, but, but before we get into all of that, I'm wondering what some of your um, initial reactions were when you heard the news, you know, I'm here in the Twin Cities. So in a way, I feel like we've kind of been a day ahead of each other, you know, being on mm -hmm. the scene when it happened and, you know, just just seeing how reactions are going along here. But what's your general reaction as someone uh, not so far away in Chicago? Yeah, so my latest album is called Redemption. And um, in, and this is just a way around to getting back to, to answer your question. But Redemption is a project that I, I, I composed of spirituals dedicated to black men murdered by police. And there is the, the, the spiritual I arranged called I Open My Mouth to the Lord was dedicated to Eric Garner, whose last words were, of course, I can't breathe. And um, I Open My Mouth to the Lord was this perfect spiritual in my mind 
to articulate how black folks, even since uh, slavery, have been opening their mouths and using literally their voices um, to fight for our lives. And when I saw the video, that was the first thing that came to mind. His words, I can't breathe, right? And for me, it was soul shattering in the way that it was soul shattering to see that uh, with Eric Gardner um, all those years before now, right? Because they were his exact words verbatim, right? right? They were literally his exact words. And as we have been touring with the Black Music Matters tour this year um, and last year, um, doing these arrangements and um, really repurposing and reframing how music is a, 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 a living will and testament, if you will, for Black folks around the struggle that we have endured in this country for so long. So not only is my heart and my soul shattered in this moment um, for, for Mr. Floyd and his family, but I am at a place right now where my work and I have dedicated my life's work as a composer um, to justice and the dismantling of white supremacy in classical music and in the music industry overall. And what role does music have in not just preserving the historical context of things like the spiritual, but these are people who lived these experiences. These words came from slaves. These words came from Black folks who lived this thing. And we're still here now in the same situation in the exact same place uh, in 2.0, 3.0, 5.0, whatever version, you know, we, 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 we had slavery, we had post-Reconstruction, we had right. Jim Crow, right. we had <laughs> Rodney right. King, we have Black Lives Matter. You feel what I'm saying? Whatever right. iteration we're in right now, the result is still the same. I'm tired and I'm sick of it. And I'm really sick of the the larger music industry not being able to understand or grasp the 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 weight of the moment we're in right now. You know, it's it, it was a moment for me um, understanding what was happening uh, as far as the protests, not too far from where I live. It was something for me to instead of going to support that effort. Um, to go to work and of course, you know, advocating for um, his family and his life and justice on the platform I have. But, you know, for me, it still begged the question, am I doing what I can? What do you, what do you think about the idea of music for social justice? Is, is it really an um, applicable uh, front on this battle, so to speak? Well, if it wasn't, I don't know what, 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 what the hell I'm doing. But in the regard that uh, I think what my my work and my role and, and my idea of what justice is, is raising the awareness to the public in the industry and the music industry overall, that we have an issue in our space. We have not an issue around, you know, just LGBT issues and all these other things. We fundamentally have a race issue in the music industry overall, we, particularly in classical music, I believe have a black folks issue. You've used it. 
uh, you, you've used that phrase twice now, classical music, and you talk about dismantling white supremacy in classical music. How do you define that? What is classical music? So for me, classical music as an industry complex is the the music of not just dead white composers, but I believe that the classical music industry now in our modern day context really refers to even the the compositions that we're doing by living composers, right? right. Um, and and I think that the reality is that when we talk about classical music, there is just a general association with white men, with white folks. Um, regardless of the style of composition, right? Because uh, for all of us who are classical musicians and classically trained, we know that that classical music is, you know, a period, right? In, in, in the in the larger, um, in the in the larger continuum of Western art music, um, in America, I believe that our understanding of what classical music honestly has been has been people who are trained in the conservatory model who have come up and have called their compositions opera or genres of classical music, right? And we have just adopted that as being classical music in 2020. I mean, because earlier you're talking about, you know, the the Negro spirituals you're writing and, and that tradition. What is more classic to our experience? What's more classical for us than those songs, than that style of music? Yeah, I argue all the time that justice for Black musicians and Black artists look like the fact that there isn't anything more classical. I had a, a, a conductor say to me, well, you know, America's classical music is jazz. I said, well, in my opinion, America's classical music is the spiritual. Um, <laughs> and not just because um, we've had, you know, uh, 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 folks who have said that who were uh, Western European um, ethnomusicologists and who've talked about the, the history here, but, uh, but because this is the foundational piece of American music, um, comes through the slave field, right? Um, and I believe that that is just as much classical as what we call George Gershwin's Porgy and Bess. Right, right. right. Um, and, and in my opinion, it's more American. Um, and, and that's another topic, but just making the point about this connection of, 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 of justice and of, of Black folks in this country and the inequity around Black bodies in America and the role that classical music and the role that all music um, has to do with it, I think is, is a connection that most people are not making. We feel like um, we have nothing to do with it. And my work in terms of not just uh, reclaiming the narrative that Black folks are the authors of American music and culture through the spiritual, but my role is to say to the world that this music not just has power, but it has power to change mm -hmm. the way that we fundamentally see Black folks in America. And our discourse around race and our discourse around equity and our discourse around fighting for the rights of those who who we are the descendants of slaves who built this country. This is not deserving of a group of folks who have built this country, America on the backs of black folks. And right now I'm tired and I'm disappointed and I'm hurt, but I'm also invigorated and I'm also motivated now more than ever, to continue to fight for Black lives, because that's something I will never stop 
fighting for because my life matters as well. I want to shift to uh, the piece of music I mentioned earlier, Seven Last Words of the Unarmed by Joel Thompson. You know, the first time I heard that piece of music, I'm sure the first time you heard it, it was, you know, the orchestra and male chorus. But you shifted it into a piece of music for um, orchestra and SATB chorus. How, how did that collaboration come about? Um, so we were approached by um, the Chicago Symphonietta, um, and uh, they needed a, a group to premiere the SATB arrangement Joel had done. And I was like, great, awesome, we can do it. And as we uh, approached it, or as I prepared the, the piece, um, there were a number of moments where I asked for or or didn't ask for permission. I just kind of did it. But when Joel got there, I was betting that he would like it. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the changes that we had made. And I thought what was powerful about this performance was um, unlike the U of M performance or, or unlike the um, Tallahassee performance, um, there were women in this performance, right? Right. <laughs> right. There were grandmothers in this performance. There were aunts, there were mothers in this performance. And that to me, not just that this was an all black ensemble, but that this was an ensemble who was delivering this message in the first person, if you will. Right. Um, These were people who have lived this and that translates to the audience in a very different way. Um, so it, it was it was just such a powerful night um, and it was a, a powerful for performance. Um, and and I was just happy to 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 be a part. You know, um, it's uh, again, it's interesting how this um, this tragedy with George Floyd is hitting different with me, um, you know, for the first time actually being in the same city as as the tragedy and the you know, and and the protests um, that follow. Um, But of course, on the Internet, you know, people from their outside perspectives like to trivialize things and, you know, ask those typical problematic questions. But one of the critiques that I've seen is that in America, when it comes to Black Lives Matter, we actually only care about Black cishet lives. And I wonder if that's something you've thought about, especially, you know, considering that you incorporated women into this really powerful piece of music about police brutality. Um, can you repeat that last part just one more time? You said we only care about what lives? Yeah, one of the one of the critiques um, that I've seen on the internet is that when we say Black Lives Matter, we only care about Black cis het lives. You know, uh, cis male heterosexual lives. The the critique is when women face the uh, these this sort of violence, uh, when trans women uh, face this sort of violence, especially we don't have the same energy for it. And I wonder if that was a, a conversation or something that you've kind of thought about considering the fact that, you know, you took that piece of music and decided to incorporate women. Yeah. Well, I, I will say that, um, that Joel um, had written the SATB arrangement. Okay. And I think we were the, the group who was there to, 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 to prepare it and, and, and deliver it for the first time. I think my perspectives around women and the role that Black women have in the movement um, and have around this was to reflect that um, this, these issues, right, 
affects so many folks. And I think um, not only do Black women and Black trans lives um, matter, but that is, I think, to a certain degree, that assessment is probably has quite a bit of truth to it. Um, I also think that the role that um, that Black Lives or the Black Lives Matter movement, I don't believe, um, perpetuates that necessarily. Sure, sure. Um, I, I think that that's more of a um, societal and media, right? Because the media has a lot to do with what we see and who we believe takes precedent um, is, is our perception, right, of, of what the media gives us. Um, and so I, I would agree um, for sure. Um, and I also think that not just Black trans lives, but Black, but black women um, in general never get the same level of exposure um, around Black missing children. I even talk about the the HBO documentary on the on the Black missing children of Atlanta and mm-hmm. how that was just beyond mind blowing to me because I had never heard of that before. Um, <laughs> and one of the things was. In my experience of going to Atlanta since I was a child, um, Atlanta presents itself as a city of like black success, black Hollywood, black upward mobility, all of these things. But the history of Atlanta um, that was really um, told in that documentary, again, were of young black boys, um, primarily um, and 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 girls, I believe, also um, who were murdered um, years ago, um, and never the, those murders were never really solved, right? They were all just pinned on, pinned on one person, and so I think there is also a large historical um, uh, history mm-hmm. of not documenting and not properly um, exposing um, the full depth of what's happening when it comes to murdering black men and women. Right. And, and the, you know, again, the expanding of Joel Thompson's piece and the way that, you know, you write your spirituals, I think really tells that story. As you mentioned earlier, it's not just singers that we hear, but it's grandmothers, it's daughters, it's sons, it's fathers, cousins, aunties, all of that. Right. And the other thing is that you know the human voice is 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 a magnificent instrument, the most important and, one, right? And I believe that um, the way that women can wail a high C or a, a, a high A is just something a guy can't do. And your perception of the work, in my opinion, automatically changes. Um, when you hear the SATB arrangement. Um, and again, and that's not a comparative analysis, but it, or that one is better than the other. You know what I mean? But what I'm saying is, is I think uh, it's it's different. It's just an altogether different experience. And so, yeah. For, you know, the, the, the target audience for so many um, institutions, classical and otherwise, you know, is the youth. Is that, you know, middle school, teenager age to, to try to get them in and, you know, path them toward a, a career in music. Um, do you think the, the style of music that you write and the message behind it can actually translate to a youngster? It seems like it's so hard to, you know, pass anything along. And many of us 
begin to think in the way we think and have these conversations into our adulthood. But do you think there's a way to break in to this youth that we're that we always work so hard uh, to engage through things like the uh, reimagined spirituals and 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 uh, and music connected to black activism? Absolutely. Um, and, and again, if I didn't, I wouldn't do what I do. Yeah. Um, I believe that um, one of the things that we uh, were working on pre-coronavirus, of course, that's been delayed, obviously, um, is a mixtape version of the Redemption album um, that's specifically targeted at younger folks. Um, and that the reality is, is that um, in Bell's, um, for example, I, I, I renamed the spiritual originally called Rock in Jerusalem, and I now call it Bell's. My arrangement is called Bell's. Um, something as simple as that, people say, oh, not a big deal. But for a younger generation of folks, um, it's significant. You know, titles matter, um, even down to um, what the arrangements do. Um, a lot of the concert spiritual culture um, uh, to this point has been around um, a perform a Western performance idea, right? Where you sing and you're quiet and then you clap and then <laughs> all right, of those right. things. Um, my you wear a certain thing. Correct. In my arrangements, I, I don't like that. I don't want that. I don't want you to sit here because the reality is, is that when you sing these songs well, you have no other choice but to move, cry, whatever, right? Um, and I think with Bells, I I put it as a contemporary rallying cry for the life of Tamir Rice, right? right. Um, I said that the, the reality is that the murder of a child is a murder of a child, period, any day, anywhere in the world. And that is something worth being angry about is something worth fighting for is something worth continuing to talk about um until it until it stops right yeah and so yeah i think that this music can reach younger groups of folks it just has to be um made in, in such a way or delivered in such a way that it, it meets people where they are we're not trying to get people to come to where we are I believe that we should be trying to get the music to meet people where they are. Um, yes, which is really what BME is about. Um, and I, yeah, yeah, and I was actually going to transition us into BME because, you know, the kids aren't, you know, popping in a CD anymore, certainly not a tape or whatever came before that. <laughs> I, I wonder if you could uh, <laughs> I wonder if you could talk a little bit um, about BME. I mean, first of all, is another streaming platform really sustainable? So I believe the short answer is yes. Um, I believe that um, BME is something that um, the world needs. I think that entrepreneurs um, create things when there is a, a gap, right? When there's a hole, when there is a need. Um, and I, I believe that in the United States, not only have we had a need for a platform that features not just um, the popular music of Black America, but that features all of the music and art of Black America in one place. Um, and I believe that that's what the Black music experience is designed to do, um, is not just to um, create Black art um, through concerts and performances, et cetera, but it's also designed to hear this art from the perspective of the Black art 
creators and content creators from that perspective. Um, one of the other cool things about this platform is that there's also an educational component to this platform, uh, kind of like a masterclass, if you will. Sure. Um, yeah. Where you're learning from the black artist creators from their own words, from their own perspectives, from um, who we are without um, the parameters of, say, um, white institutions, right. which many of us operate inside of. Um, that's the way that we work. That's the way that we um, make money. And I believe that um, what we have really never really heard from is this generation's unadulterated truth as to what our art is, why it exists, um, and why it should be in the world without that other influence, if you will. Right. Um, we need that. We don't need, again, it's, it's like a censored media, right? We need spaces where we have free artistic um, reign to create work that is about us from the genesis of the work to the end. And I not think monitored a, and censored. Yeah, yeah and, and, and I think a point that really needs to be underscored in what you said is identifying and reaching out and representing all of Black America, all of Black Music America. So, you know, that can very well include the symphonies of William Grant Still, Florence Price, but also what folks are doing today, including, um, I suspect, something that uh, you're doing as well called Hopra. Now, <laughs> the, the the first time I thought about the idea of hip hopra is when they put Beyonce on TV to do mm -hmm. uh, Carmen. If, if, mm -hmm. if you remember that, is, is, is are, are those is that along the lines of of the work you do on, on the hopra side of things, just making opera a little more updated and applicable to Black folk? No, actually, I personally feel that. Um, the current opera game, I think sometimes when people hear Hopper, they think it's just like the hip hop version of Don Giovanni. Sure. Like, no, <laughs> which which, which I might not. catch on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you might. And I, I think there have been numerous attempts. And again, this is in no way a, a knock to what any um, creators have done in the past. But Hopera for me is a true artwork that embodies the Black experience from A to Z. And for me, it's largely in part my experience um, as a black man in America told through the modalities of opera and hip hop. Of course, because hip hop is a fusion form, of course, mm -hmm. there's gonna be influences of blues, jazz, gospel, all types of vocalism because that is black America, right? Uh, <laughs> there, there has to be um, vocal representation from every side of the um, the musical spectrum of Black Americans. And so um, Hopper is, is really just my imagination about telling Black stories. I, I liken it to say my work, I feel like, is similar to what Spike Lee's work was in the film industry in the late 80s, um, which was to, in some ways, throw the rule book out the window as right. to how we tell the stories and really telling those stories on Black folks' terms. You know, it, it, we saw the, uh, the, uh, the beginning of the 90s and late 80s, we started to see things like Boys in the Hood. We started to see do the, right uh, the work thing, of John you know? Singh. Absolutely, do the right thing and school days and talking about colorism and exactly. talking about things that had nothing to do with white America. 
Um, for so long, we've seen opera as a genre that is in in service to and in its genesis, a Western European form. Um, and what I see with opera is that this is truly um, about Black folks through and through, expressed through uh, the modalities of American music and culture on our own terms, which I would argue um, in the larger classical space is is not something we've seen very often. Are there stories um, floating around your uh, mind right now or on your writing desk for, for opera? Yeah, so um, I'm working on um, a new piece um, called Black Bohem, and it is... Um, a, a, a wonderful piece, um, I believe. <laughs> oh, I'm sure <laughs> about, it is. <laughs> uh, about uh, four friends who are artists, who are millennials, um, uh, coming coming of age and, and trying to figure it out um, in, 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 a, in a city like Chicago and trying to figure out how to monetize their art, how to make money and live and pay rent and do their thing, um, but also really kind of talking about and embracing a lot of the things that we as black folks oftentimes don't get to talk about. Right. Um, which is, you know, how hard these things are when you combine them with uh, religion, when you combine them with black culture and family and all of these things. And what is the intersection of sexual orientation and identity and all of these pieces that oftentimes are absolutely present in black culture, but never rise to the surface in a lot of our, um, particularly in the opera space. In the theater space, we've been talking about a lot of these things for a long time um, in Black theater, but um, in opera, not so much, not so much. And so I think that that um, is uh, one of the new pieces that, that we're working on that will actually premiere on BME um, later this fall. So it's, it's, a, it's a piece, uh, you know, about folks trying to make their way, as you said, monetizing their art. So what I hear is you monetizing your art and at the same time teaching other people how to monetize their art, paying it forward and getting it back and everything else. That's incredible. Yeah, I think we, we as um, my philosophy about um, Black art in America is that you know, much like we have always seen, even with Spike Lee, even in other artistic spaces, is that Black folks have had to, largely for a long time in the beginning, support our own art making, right? With our own funds, with our own with our family and friends and, you know, all of those things, um, not having a lot of institutional support um, via funding. And so um, I think that part of paying it forward um, is creating new economic models for artists, Black artists and artists of color. I think we have to. We have to because our, our current systems are inadequate. If we haven't seen that by now, I don't know how long we're going to keep doing the same thing, expecting new outcomes. Um, it's time. It's been time. It's been time. And I believe that this is one of the strong um, pieces as to how we create um, alternative arts economies, um, in the United States, um, specifically geared towards Black folks and folks of color um, to succeed um, and redefine what success looks like. Well, then, in the spirit of supporting our own economic structures, how can folks support the Black music experience and the opera that you write? So um, I'm glad you asked. Um, our goal is to um, late summer, so 
end of July um, and the top of August is our, our potential launch, um, our official launch, excuse me, the hard launch of the platform. Um, you can um, download the app um, onto your phone and also onto your Apple TV or Roku TV um, at, by the end of the summer and you can subscribe. And so even in the interim, um, very soon we'll have a landing page up where folks can um, sign up and um, get email updates about um, all of the current programming that we're going to be debuting on the platform. Um, and then also making sure that, that folks subscribe is really um, a, a big piece for us. And what about the uh, Redem- Redemption album? Is that available for folks to check out now? Yes. Um, the Redemption album is available on Spotify, Apple Music, um, and it is a powerful um, journey. It's a journey. Uh, it's 17 tracks, but I'm telling you, it, it's a great work um, that is a fully orchestrated piece of choral arrangements and compositions by me um, with... Uh, my professional all-black ensemble here in Chicago, the Adrian Dunn Singers, and they are spectacular. So proud of them, and I'm so proud of the work that we have been able to do through Redemption. And so um, you can get a copy of it um, online at uh, Spotify, um, actually um, Apple Music, all online retailers, um, as well as my new book, um, which is also uh, called Redemption, How Music Saved My Life and Can Save Black Lives. When it comes to, you know, life's journey and and the work that needs to be done, I love the analogy of climbing the mountain. And sometimes the further up the mountain I, I climb, personally, the, the steeper it feels. But also the further up I climb, the uh, the more folks I see um, climbing the same mountain. So I'm, I'm really glad that our paths could uh, connect. And I really appreciate the work you're doing. Thanks so much for talking with me. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I really, 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 really appreciate it. And um, thank you for reaching out. And um, thank you for giving me um, and our group and these ideas a platform. Um, And like I said, if anyone wants to continue to check out the work that we're doing here in Chicago, um, you can definitely find it all at adriandunn.com. Okay, and we're back with Movement 4, um, the Triloquy. All right, so um, you want me to give, um, you want me to go or you want me, uh, or you want to go first? Let me grab my phone. Because <laughs> I, I have a few things. How about, how about, how about you go ahead, um, and, and I'm just going to go ahead and let the listeners know. I asked Scott for this Triloquy, for his true and real um to address the white people. So go. It's on your doorstep. Whether you think that you had a hand in it right now or not, this goes back deeper than you know, and it is on you to research, to read, to uh, to try to but I'm uh, not transform racist. yourself. But, 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 but I'm not racist. I have, a, my, I have a black friend. That's great. That doesn't mean that you don't you don't have some uh, some biases and tendencies that are 
to you just ingrained in the way that you were brought up. I'm seeing them now in myself. How, I see how, a lot of how them. How dare you? How dare you call me racist? You don't. You how? The, do you understand what you're saying? How dare you call me a racist? I'm not racist. How are you not racist? Because I told you I have a black friend. Mm-hmm. What does your black friend think of you? Well, I never asked him what he thinks of me. <laughs> All of my white friends know how I think of them. Okay, no. So what? What? What I'm saying is that. Uh, the the uh, like in the Twin Cities, you know, we've talked in season one about how there is more at stake in these protests due to the way the Rondo neighborhood was torn apart, and the interstate and that neighborhood yeah. was directly affected by that. So we're talking. This is generational. Yeah. But you would have to you have to acknowledge it. You have to at least put the effort in to understand what it is actually like to not have all these comforts and all these advantages that you've had, which are now being shown plainly because it's on because it's in your yard. Now, all of a sudden, you know, I went to um, I was a part of a panel at one point and I just kind of um, oh, actually with uh, Vanessa Rose, the, the racial equity uh, thing back in um, back in September. And um, Mr. Lang, who was there kind of facilitating a lot of it, he made a point that I had never thought about. He talked about racializing white people. So we talk about black music and, and what black folks and all that stuff do all the time. But I feel like as a society, saying the phrase white person has always been a little bit uncomfortable, but but here we are. We're saying that a lot now, aren't we? And and I'm I'm a shout out to the allies because I know that there are allies out there, but I think by and large, every white person needs to take a look inside and ask themselves a certain number of questions and they need to look around themselves and ask those people questions. And that's that's where I get fired up. Mm-hmm. It's the yeah. the, the, so, the lack of accountability for the folks who you have contact with, who you know have these problematic, you know, uh, feelings and statements and, and all that. So when I see things blowing up in a place like Omaha, which let's to be clear, there have been protests, but I do not recall in my time there riots or violence to this degree. And and if you do and and you want to send them to us, then shoot it through our website. There's, a, am sure, a link that we can if you've got any information that you want to share. But uh, white people, it is happening. And it is it's it's on your it's on your front door, period. All right. Well, I'm not going to take too much time here. Um, I, I don't want to turn not too much time. You've got a list. <laughs> um, I, I don't want to turn the last movement of each opus into just a reading session. You know, Oh, you don't. OK. But with that being said, <laughs> but let's set precedent with the first opus of this second season. So last night. On my social media, anyway, it started getting around that uh, the principal trombone of the Austin Symphony Orchestra was on Facebook wilding. Mm-hmm. All right, so you know, you know, you know me. I, I did a little research, and um, I found the comment that folks are talking about. And it's a comment. It looks like a comment she made on someone else's post. But uh, her name is Brenda Salas, Brenda Sansic Salas. And she said, Trump isn't rioting. The blacks are. He'd be damned if he didn't shut down the country. Stop your hatred. Okay, so you know they read her. (laughs) You know they got her together. Uh, And I'm not even going to go through all of that. So anyway, there was such an outcry. 
um, just from the comments alone. So someone managed to Google her name or something and found out that she was Principal Trombone of the Austin Symphony. So mm -hmm. they started screenshotting that against the comments mm -hmm. just so people saw okay yeah. so you know yesterday was sunday as we we're recording this yesterday was sunday so you know and we're in the coronavirus anyway so the orchestras are closed you know the offices are closed don't you know by the time i got to the website that's what it looked like that's what it looked like her name was gone <laughs> her name was deleted okay wow. so of course i go and follow them on twitter and see what's going on and i'm gonna read what the austin symphony said real quick Okay, it says, message from ASO Executive Director Anthony Carora, quote, We would like to thank the community and let you know that your voice was heard. As previously stated, we were made aware of offensive posts that were shared on social media by one of our musicians late last night. Once alerted, we were appalled by the comments as they are clearly not reflective of who we are as an organization. We began to work quickly and closely with the American Federation of Musicians, our orchestra committee staff, and other key members. At this time, we can state that the musician is no longer employed by the ASO, for there is no place for hate within our organization. Thank you for your patience while we navigate through the necessary channels, end quote. Now, let me take you through some of that. It's important to note that they said they quickly got in contact with the American Federation of Musicians and the orchestra committee. Okay, so when you're in the orchestra world, you can't just get fired. That 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 is something that does not happen, especially when you have tenure and you have to go through the right, you know all steps. the processes. Yeah, you know, yeah. from from you know, under normal circumstances. I got the job and I got tenure, but I don't want you in that position to your getting fired. In many cases, is a two to three year process, even even if it's completely justifiable. The Austin Symphony Orchestra said no. They immediately reached out. And especially in this climate, we're seeing the institutions that are going to put up with it and the institutions that are not going to put up with it. Yeah, the Austin Symphony Orchestra was not one of them. Now, we can speak to um, whether or not they would have done that if this was quieted down, if this is a response to um, widespread um, critique as opposed to one of their musicians um, being racist, mm. you know, we, we, we can have that conversation. But at the end of the day, they did what they needed to do to expedite the process and to get her out of here. We need, we need that. <laughs> it's well, the baseball sound. <laughs> She's out of here. Boy, I tell you with, uh, yeah. And with the way, how quickly social media moves, man, the internet is fast. She's going to have a hard time getting a job playing a rusty trombone. That's why I try to keep myself together because I know, because <laughs> I know they're going to dig up some of my old tweets. <laughs> let me, let me shut my stuff down. Now, all right. Um, I, I, I think that's it. I mean, all in all, it is up to every single person to call out these inequities where you see them. If we're going to change the world, and it's gonna, it, you know, this is not going to be polite. We're, we're done being nope. nice. We're, we've seen that with the fires and the violence across the country. We are done. Uh, you, and you're going to get called out. Uh, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to get called out. And that's part of it. Um, we didn't even talk about what's right. her name, Cooper from yeah. New York, you know, remember, uh, what's her name, Amy Cooper, or I don't even know her name, the woman in Central Park who got oh. on the phone screaming and hollering. Yeah, yeah, that's for another At the bird watcher, who's yeah. pretty good looking, man, might I say shout <sighs> out to you. <laughs> so, yeah, and look at that, she lost her dog, who was damn near strangled, and her job, and... Yeah, what's his name's wife's getting a divorce? So yeah, th this is going to cost. This is going to cost. Some going of you cost. are going to pay. Maybe some of you listening. Mm. Mm.